all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason. You. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. Think Radio, this is Southern Remedies Relatively Speaking, the show all about you and your family. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress, developmental and behavioral pediatrician and professor emeritus at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Have you heard the term children first? What does that actually mean? Do you think that we as a society really believe that? And why should we? Are we investing in our children as we should? Today we'll talk about our schools, our special services, and the way we may be able to change our state for the better. Let's talk about what's going on in your life, our life. Share your comments and experiences with us this morning by calling 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. You can send an email to mpbonline.org. This is Relatively Speaking from MPB Think Radio. Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Lakshmi Singh. The Department of Homeland Security is out with new rules that tighten federal enforcement of U.S. immigration laws. NPR's Joel Rose reports the rules reflect President Trump's campaign promise to detain and deport more immigrants who are in the U.S. illegally. The new approach is laid out in two memos signed by Homeland Security Secretary John Kelly. The new rules do not affect the so-called dreamers, people who are brought illegally to the country as children. The rules leave in place the Obama administration policy known as DACA, or Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals. But the memos greatly expand the number of other immigrants who are prioritized for removal, including anyone with a final deportation order and anyone an immigration officer deems a risk to public safety. And the new rules would greatly expand the use of expedited removal proceedings. Still, DHS officials say the agency is not planning mass deportations and that many of the new policies will take time to implement. Joel Rose, NPR News, New York. President Trump's condemning recent threats made against Jewish community centers. The anti-Semitic threats targeting our Jewish community and community centers are horrible and are painful and a very sad reminder of the work that still must be done to root out hate and prejudice and evil. Trump addressed anti-Semitism after he toured the new National Museum of African American History and Culture today. He called the experience a, quote, meaningful reminder of why we have to fight bigotry, intolerance and hatred in all forms, end quote. But critics argue race-related attacks were fueled by Trump's rhetoric since his campaign, as well as his ties to Breitbart, the conservative online website widely seen as a platform for white nationalists. Breitbart's former executive chairman, Steve Bannon, is now Trump's chief strategist. A longtime CIA analyst has quit the agency, saying he cannot serve the Trump administration in good faith. Edward Price had worked at the CIA since 2006, most recently on loan to the National Security Council. Here's NPR's Mayor Louise Kelly. Ned Price says he planned to stay on under President Trump, that he served proudly under both Republican and Democratic presidents. But in an op-ed in The Washington Post, Price writes he was taken aback by Trump's rhetoric on the 
campaign trail. Then, by Trump's speech at CIA headquarters the day after taking office, a speech many CIA officers viewed as disrespectful. Price cites Trump's reorganization of the National Security Council as the final straw. He formally resigned last week. Dean Boyd, a spokesperson for the CIA, declined comment other than to note, quote, we have not seen a spike in departures since January 20th. Mary Louise Kelly, NPR News, Washington. Meanwhile, more Republican lawmakers praising the president's decision to name Army Lieutenant General H.R. McMaster to be his national security advisor. McMaster replaces retired General Michael Flynn, who was ousted last week. You're listening to NPR News. A moment of silence observed today for Russia's ambassador to the United Nations. Members of the Security Council paused to remember the contributions of Vitaly Cherkin, who would have been 65 years old today. Cherkin died yesterday in New York City. Local authorities cited a cardiac condition. No further details were disclosed. Cherkin had served as Russia's envoy to the U.N. for more than a decade. He was the longest-serving ambassador on the Security Council. President Robert Mugabe is celebrating his 93rd birthday. As Zimbabwe speculates about the succession and the post-Mugabe era, NPR's Zafabia Quistarkton reports, though the veteran Zimbabwean leader says he wants to live to 100 and rule for life, others are jostling to replace him. President Mugabe has accused would-be successors in his governing ZANU-PF party of plotting his ouster and has urged them to curb what he calls their unbridled ambition. Mugabe has complained, they say, when will this old man die? He's refusing to die. Zimbabwean political commentator Pedizai Ruhanya says it's natural for Zimbabweans to ponder a future without Mugabe. Yes, of course, people are talking about the succession politics because the president is ailing. The president is aging. Any reasonable person would see that at 93, the future of the president is in the symmetry. In his annual birthday interview with state media, Mugabe is quoted as saying he isn't ready to step down, nor is he grooming a successor. Ophelia Quistockton, NPR News, Johannesburg. U.S. stocks trading higher with the Dow up 105 points at 20,729. I'm Lakshmi Singh, NPR News in Washington. Support for NPR comes from NPR stations. Other contributors include Bluevine, providing small businesses with online access to capital through revolving lines of credit and invoice factoring with a commitment to transparency. Small business credit help is available at BlueVine.com. This is Relatively Speaking with Dr. Susan Buttress on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call 877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can email the show, family at mpbonline.org. And now... Relatively speaking, on MPB Think Radio. Good morning. Thanks for listening. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress here on Relatively Speaking. And this morning, I wanted us to talk about the term children first. Do you know what that actually means? Do you think that we as a society really believe that we should put children first? And if you do, why do you think we should? 
Are we investing in our children as we should? Today, you heard some talk earlier in legal terms. Hopefully, you were listening to that show with the governor and Dean Gershwin about our schools and funding and all and what's going on with that. We want to go a little more in depth into that. We want to talk about our special services that we give children and maybe early intervention services and how early, how low do we really need to go um, to, to do a good job? And um, I and my guest this morning, Dr. Barbara Saunders, who is my, my, um, uh, the, for the, I was the former, I'm having trouble saying this. <laughs> I am the past division chief of child development at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Dr. Saunders is now there doing a wonderful job. So welcome, Dr. Saunders. Thanks for being here with us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, But she and I both would like to propose that, um, yes, we're talking about education. Yes, we're talking about schools. Yes, we're talking about children first. But we both believe that uh, we're not starting early enough. If we're really going to make a change, if we're really going to invest in our children, then we believe you need to start in infancy. And we have data to show you um, to tell show you why that is true. Um, so I we really do want to hear from you and what your thoughts are on the previous show. show certainly, if you have some follow up comments, but on what do you think we're doing as far as making sure that we put children first? One one concern um, that I as a, a pediatrician have is that so many times when we need to cut funds where do we cut funds we cut funds in the area of special needs Mm -hmm. right mental health Mm -hmm. uh, medicaid Mm -hmm. right Um, and if we do that then we for sure are not going to be able to take care of those individuals who need us the most um one thing i want to bring up is uh that um A Nobel Prize winner, James Heckman's research, um, played a really important role in establishing the the need for high-quality public preschool for three- and four-year-olds. And that's how he won his his Nobel Prize. And his argument was that it's really an economic argument. You can make huge difference long-term if you help low-income children who are attending um, school. If you put them in preschool, they're more likely to live productive lives later. They're likely to to earn more money, have better jobs, and all also, you you heard earlier about the legal system. You'll have less people involved in the legal system. Well, now, Dr. Heckman, Heckman released some new research, and he talks about how we're not starting early enough at three to, three to four. Mm-hmm. We really need to start in infancy. So... Does that mean, Dr. Saunders, that we need to put infants in school? Um, not necessarily. I mean, right. some some kids do benefit even as early as, you know, their toddlerhood um, as far as the interactions you get in a preschool or, or um, child care setting. Um, but the environment itself is so important that an infant and a toddler is in 
a stimulating environment, an environment that promotes learning, that promotes um, uh, a kid's imagination to grow and communication and all of those things. That's what's really important, even in infancy. Right. Uh, I think another thing we have to keep in mind in in our society today, we, we put a lot of pressure on parents to work and to earn money. Yes, we all should be productive citizens. So, you know, we we want people off the welfare roads, roads. We want them on um, in a productive um, job. But what that does is it takes many times a single parent out of a single parent home. Um, so they are not in a, they they are not able even if they are educated enough they are not able to um, start with that really early childhood education. We've talked on this show before about the word deficit that many children in indigent populations have. Those children who live in poverty poverty um, often have a word deficit of what thirty million words mm-hmm. by the time they're five years of age. Those are a lot of words not spoken to those children. So, um, you know, is that because they don't talk in the home? Maybe. But is it also because they're trying to do chores at home or they're working or if they are in a child care that is substandard? Right. And we know those are around there, Mm -hmm. too. So um, would like to hear from you, our listeners, about your thoughts about our responsibilities, whether you have children or not. Believe it or not, this pertains to you because you are talking about the future of our state, of our surrounding states. I'm talking to you also, Tennessee, Alabama, Louisiana. I know some of you are listening and we all have the similar issues. Yes. Mississippi is at the bottom, but the other states aren't too far um, above us, honestly. I think Alabama ranks around 30th Mm -hmm. in the education system, which is um, significantly above Mississippi, who ties it, what, 48 for with South Dakota, I think. Um, but anyway, we want to hear from you and your thoughts. Give us a call at one eight seven seven MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. You can email us at family at mpbonline dot org. Um, as we're moving through, also, I'd like for us to talk about some of those. Um, disorders that need early intervention, um, early uh, signs of speech-language delay, uh, early signs of autism, mm-hmm. um, even ADHD. And then what are some of those really early signs of, like, dyslexia or a reading disorder or learning disability when a child cognitively seems bright, they seem intelligent, but but just they're just not learning. Um, where, where, where do we fit in there? Um, how do we know when to step in and when to help? Um, that, that's what I would like for us to maybe review today. It looks like we've got some callers coming in, which is great. I want to hear from you about where you think we are, what you think we need to do, and, and how even those of you who don't have children can maybe step in and help, especially when we're talking about that very, um, very young child mm-hmm. out there. 
So for those of you who are just joining the show, we're talking about um, putting children first and that children are our future. So we want to talk about what that means, why we should do it, why we really should invest in children. And I'm going to give you some examples of how even living in an impoverished area, you can make a difference, and people out there are making a difference. We have data out there now going on. So let's go on to the phone lines before our break. We've got Israel and Jackson. Good morning, Israel. Good morning. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for calling. You have some thoughts about homeschooling? Oh, yes, I do. I am a, a successful homeschooling parent, um, and I have friends who are. My uh, son is now in college. I just want to say that we place a lot of emphasis on public education or formal education, and there's a growing population of homeschooling parents in Mississippi, and we're all not doing it or didn't do it because of religion. I didn't do it because of religion. Right. I did it because I wanted my son to have a quality, creative education. And here's what I really want to say. For those parents, I was poor. I was earning $750 a month working part-time as a staff writer for a public university. But I worked from home. It was a sacrifice I made to be at home with my son. And... I feel that if a parent is at home, and I know a number of poor parents, single parents who are at home, it's an opportunity for them to engage their children in communication and reading. What I've learned is if a child can talk and sing and dance, he's probably ready to learn to read. And there's nothing more important than introducing that child to the world of books. My son's life was filled and remained filled with books. And I believe that reading is the foundation for any quality level of quality of education. And so for parents at home, we're working now in Natchez, Mississippi, with poor, single, uh, unsupported Medicaid uh, beneficiaries. Um, and we're helping them to not only have healthy pregnancies, but we're engaging them as, uh, to talk, to think about parenting, uh, being a parent and a teacher. In other words, reading to your child, reading to that child before it even enters the world, when that child can begin to hear you. So the most feasible thing we can do as parents, I don't care what our educational background is or financial situation may be, we can read, and the library is still public, it's still free. We can go to the library, introduce our kids to the world of books, and we can read and teach our kids to read. That, in my opinion, is the foundation that's crumbling. And wow. That's something we need to re-embrace. Israel, I have to tell you, Sam Wells, our producer today, just came in and asked me if um, you had written this show for me. <laughs> <laughs> Fabulous job. Mm -hmm. Thank you for your words. I, I don't think we could say it better. No, not yeah. at all. That's amazing. Yeah. You yeah. know, I think reading, 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 get those words out there. And you said it so well is um, once you don't have to wait until a child's talking. Many parents now. Who are really intent on making sure their children are prepared for the world? Start reading when their babies are in utero. Uh, babies can hear you. They can start discerning um, language in utero. There is evidence for that. So, um, thanks for those words. We've got several callers waiting, um, but we um, also have an open line. So, you guys wait. We're going to go to our first break, and when we come back, we'll get to Chris, Eddie, and Lee. This is Relatively Speaking. We'll be right back. 
MPB Think Radio goes off the beaten path with diverse perspectives and award-winning content, attracting an audience who appreciate honesty and value. Sound familiar? Reach your target audience with an MPB underwriting credit. For more information, go to mpbonline.org. Mansour al-Dafi wants a family and a future in a Muslim country. The U.S. sent the former Guantanamo Bay inmate to Serbia instead. And when they brought me to Serbia, they make my life worse. They, they totally killed my dreams. I'm Ari Shapiro, once a terrorism suspect, now out of Gitmo. This afternoon on All Things Considered from NPR News. Today at 4 on NPB Think Radio. For moments in black history, we salute Indasia Ida Mae Holland, best known for her play From the Mississippi Delta. Indasia Holland made her way from poverty and prostitution in the Jim Crow South to civil rights activism and ultimately a Ph.D. from the University of Minnesota. With the help from the civil rights organization SNCC, Indasia bettered her life and the lives of others. Her play From the Mississippi Delta leaves a legacy of making a way from no way. This has been MPB's Moment in Black History. This is Relatively Speaking on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call 877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can email the show, family at mpbonline.org. Welcome back, and thanks for listening. This is Relatively Speaking. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress, and I'm here with Dr. Barbara Saunders, Chief of Child Development and Behavioral Pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. We're talking about putting children first and what that means, and we're talking about early intervention, special services, are just making sure that we are giving our young children the safest and the best environment they can. We're going to go right on back to the phone lines. We have Chris in Batesville who has some comments about putting kids first. Good morning, Chris. Thanks for calling. Good morning, and thanks for having me. Uh, first of all, I'd like to say I echo just about everything the, the previous caller had to say. I know that when my wife and I were discussing becoming pregnant, we looked and said, okay, which one of us is not going to go to work until our child is at least eight years old? Wow. We made the financial sacrifice. I don't need 3,500 square feet of home for three people. I'm willing to start at a very small home. And like you said, we read to my daughter in utero. I mean, when she was born and the doctor was holding her in her hands i spoke her name and she looked right at me wow you you, you are exactly right they develop they hear they know their voice and i found that my wife and i found another very good time to read to the child is when you're doing potty training good idea Mm -hmm. yeah entertain them yeah exactly (laughs) (laughs) This is just another way to keep them from getting bored 
while it's happening, and every chance you can get to read to that child expands their 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 vocabulary. It just does so much for them. But I see so many people today not willing to sacrifice themselves for their children. They want their big house and their pretty car, and they put the child in daycare at 6.15 in the morning and pick the child up at 6 o'clock at night. And then they expect to have some kind of working relationship with that child with you know, an hour and a half a day and then Saturday and Sunday during the week. Right. And I just don't see how that's possible. And I've seen the, the, just the absolute disintegration of the family dynamic, especially morally. Well, I, Chris, you've got you you're making some really great points as far as it sometimes does take real sacrifice um, uh, just to make sure that you are able to spend time with your children. Certainly, there are some single parents out there who don't have a choice but to work those long hours, mm-hmm. and um, then they um, have to do the best they can. But even even on those long work hours, when when you're off and home, if you can just remember, yes, you're tired, but to isolate some some time, maybe even 30 minutes a day yeah. can mm-hmm. make a big difference, don't mm-hmm. you think? Yeah. yeah. So um, certainly, uh, thank you, Chris, for putting your child first. I think that's the point we're making. You know, um, I've traveled about, and when I was in India, one thing that, that I saw is is even the very impoverished families, many times their children were with them. They were talking to them. They loved them dearly. And I know we love our kids, but sometimes I think we don't always remember that they, they need to be before that important television or cell phone. So thanks for your thanks for your call. Let's go next to um, Eddie and Loosedale. Eddie, you've got some thoughts about education funding. Yes, uh, I was trying to figure out how our education always gets uh, put on the back burner. The politicians, they... Uh, they campaign on fun, fully funding education, and usually when they get in, that's the first cut they make. And my second comment is uh, on the homeschooling. Homeschooling is fine, but I've, I've worked with kids that were homeschooled out in the uh, world in the job, and they told me that home, they got a good education and everything, but they they, they didn't get the... They didn't learn how to uh, associate with people because they were homeschooled. Yeah. yeah. And then my uh, last comment is, uh, it's going to take a, a minute for me to get it to you. My son was uh, was uh, in uh, elementary school, and they wanted to put him on medicine for ADD and because they say he was disrupting the class. And what it was is when he got to do with his homework or whatever he was doing, he got bored. So he was doing other things, interrupting. Uh-huh. Why well, wouldn't let him put him on it? Uh-huh. And uh, you got to get, you got to be interactive with your school. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Anyway, he, uh, we wouldn't let him put him on it. And she told him that 
if he runs out of his work, give him the next next assignment. Good and advice. If he does that, right? Then go back and give him something he did last week to keep him busy. <laughs> but we get into a point to where he uh, he ended up. We wouldn't let him do it. He ended up uh, in the Mississippi Lions band, and he's on his third year in college now. So, Eddie, let me let me stop you there just for a moment. Um, I, you you brought up three great points, and I know Dr. Saunders wants to talk about the socialization mm-hmm. in homeschool just for a minute. But I, let me just um, just say that apparently you had a a really bright son who was being un, under stimulated in his particular school so um and and it, you had excellent suggestions on what to do i want to make sure that others out there know that schools are not supposed to say your child has adhd and he's supposed to be on medication that is actually not a legal thing to do what they can say is your child is having difficulties we are supposed to then um, go through a tier process, tier one, two, three, that um, tier one is the observation, and then you come up with a behavioral plan on how to fix it, and then if that doesn't work, you go to testing and then intervention. So to, to, to say suddenly that a child has ADHD is not the appropriate process, and hopefully schools are not still doing that. Um, it's Sounds like your son was um, was uh, uh, just a bright kid who was understimulated. Dr. Saunders, will you comment on the socialization in homeschool, though? Yeah, certainly. Um, a lot of people think about when kids go to school that the the main thing they're there to do is learn the academic material, and that is definitely very important. But another key aspect of education is learning to socialize, learning to get along with others, take turns, share, um, have conversations, all of those social things that if a child does not attend some sort of school, they may or may not learn. So kids who are homeschooled um, really benefit from homeschool co-ops where they may do one day a week together uh, with an academic class or an extracurricular like art or PE, um, participating in other types of extracurricular activities, sports or music, um, church groups, those types of things. But it just takes an extra effort on the part of the homeschool parent to make sure that happens when um, kids attend, you know, traditional public or private school where they're in a class with other students and rotating classes and that type of thing it's kind of built in so um the key is just to really be intentional and make sure their child gets those exposures frequently right and we have some robust homeschool groups that do a a great job Mm -hmm. so it can be done and it can be done Mm -hmm. very well so eddie thanks for your call um, let's go. Lee, you have been so patient with us. Thank you for waiting. Lee's in Louisiana, and you have some comments on early childhood ed. Hi, yes. Um, I'm a retired teacher, um, national board certified with a master's degree. And since I retired in 2010, I've been a full-time advocate for public ed. I wanted to make a few uh broad statements on three subjects, and then you and Dr. Saunders and, and your guests can maybe go into some more detail. Great. But first of all, I wanted to say that um, the first big one of the – I noticed that you mentioned Mississippi, Alabama, and you didn't include Louisiana, but it is at the bottom um, <laughs> when it comes to education. However, 
I want to make sure the public understands that due to our accountability system, our broken accountability system, which was introduced with No Child Left Behind and the standardized testing regime, that all students have to take the same standardized test according to the law, federal right. law. Right. Um, and research, all research uh, and experience has shown that standardized tests measure poverty. They do not measure learning accurately. Um, they can't, if it's a standardized test, not based on a local curriculum that's taught by the teachers. So that's one of our huge problems. And that's one of the reasons that Mississippi, Alabama, Louisiana are at the bottom of the list. We're the highest in poverty. Right. So you will find that nationally and even down to the, to the local school if you do the, the data and the research. Secondly, I wanted to say uh, uh, with early childhood, it's important for people to know uh, first of all, with this accountability, now they're beginning to test children with standardized tests at a younger and younger age. And children at a very early age, small children, babies really, some of them who uh, enter, uh, are able to go to school, um, their brains don't develop, they, they don't develop uh, abstract thinking skills until later. And yet we're asking them to do too much and to take some of these standardized tests. Children learn through play. And I'd love to hear Dr. Saunders talk more about that. And lastly, about charters. Because of accountability and standardization and a movement to privatize our public schools, um, we've lost a good bit of funding charters and people should understand i'm sure it's the same in mississippi because it's national that um as in louisiana charter schools do not have to hire certified teachers and it's so important to have uh, properly trained educators i could go on and on but yeah I'll leave it at that. <laughs> okay lee thank you thank you for your comments uh, i believe it depends on the way the charter school law is written as to um, what kind of standards can be there. Um, I haven't reviewed that uh, most recently, but I know in Mississippi when that was being explored, that was supposed to be um, written into to the law, that, that teacher certification was going to have to be um, the same. So, um, Dr. Saunders, talk a little bit um, about the value of play. That's a really, really important topic. Right. Um, well, and play begins very early, um, and it, it is hugely important because it helps a child develop um, social skills, communication skills, imagination, problem solving, um, you know, even critical thinking, depending on what they are playing. Um, I think we are probably all guilty um, as parents of considering a screen playtime, and very rarely is that actual playtime. Um, and that's one thing to remember Um now that we live in such a digital world, right. um, but but learning to play games, especially interactive games, or to play um, uh, socially with others, or even with your parents, it, it just helps develop so many different aspects of a child's total development that it's so so important to be sure that that happens. It's very important, and I, I believe that's why some of our early childhood education programs try to go to 
less structure and mm-hmm. more um, sort of directed play so that um, children can learn while they're playing, but more in a more creative sense. Right. So play is very, very important. So we need to all keep that in mind. We're going to go to a break. We have Tim and Cornish um, on the lines waiting. We'd love to hear from you more. We have uh, a couple of open lines. Guys, give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. You can send an email to family at mpbonline.org. We're talking about why children need to be first. This is Relatively Speaking. We'll be right back. Informative MPB news stories, the local shows you love, up-to-date severe weather info, and the state and worldwide reach telling the story of Mississippi. You're listening to MPB Think Radio. Today's Moment in Black History highlights Coolidge Ball. Being the first African-American athlete to play any sport at the University of Mississippi, Coolidge Ball is a trailblazer. I knew it was going to be that way. And uh, when I came here, I knew I was going to make history. My coach had recruited at the University of Mississippi at that time, uh, Kenneth Robin. And I really never thought about coming to the University of Mississippi until he came down to visit. We salute Coolidge Ball for making a path others could follow. This has been MPB's Moment in Black History. Southern Remedy is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio and is funded in part by a grant from the University of Mississippi Medical Center and by the generous support from you, our listeners. Mansour al-Dafi wants a family and a future in a Muslim country. The U.S. sent the former Guantanamo Bay inmate to Serbia instead. And when they brought him to Serbia, they make my life worse. They, they totally killed my dreams. I'm Ari Shapiro, once a terrorism suspect, now out of Gitmo. This afternoon on All Things Considered from NPR News. Today at 4 on NPB Think Radio. To listen to stories and shows, go to mpbonline.org. This is Relatively Speaking on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments... Call 877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can email the show, family at mpbonline.org. Welcome back. This is Relatively Speaking. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress here with Dr. Barbara Saunders, Chief of Child Development and Behavioral Pediatrics at UMC. We're talking about putting children first and why we should do that and how early we should do it. I think we've come to the conclusion that at birth, um, <laughs> prior to, as they're preparing to come into the world, we're going to go on back to the phones. Um, we have Tim in Hattiesburg. Tim, you have some comments on charter schools? Yeah. Uh, yeah, good morning. Good morning, uh, yes. Dr. Buttress. And um, 
I want to uh, thank uh, the previous callers for their comments that they've made. Um, uh, what really concerns me about this uh, dual uh, public education system that we seem to be creating is that um, one one system is not going to be held to accountability uh, or the requirements or meet the same requirements as the uh, other system is. You know, the I don't think the charter system will be held to the same requirements as the public system, such as providing services for all children, which um, what I mean is for children with disabilities, mm -hmm. uh, children who need, have special needs. Uh, I don't think that these uh, uh, charter school system will have to provide services for those children. Um, now, also, I would um, there's a lot of things that um, I could say, but there's one thing I want to especially say, and that is that to put children first in education is my view, and I'm not an educator or a teacher, that um, giving the classroom teacher autonomy is the very most important thing. That's, that's the way to hold a classroom teacher accountable. That's the way to hold education accountable is to give the classroom teacher autonomy and to, to let them um, educate the children. Um, and, and that's whenever a teacher is just trying to perform what an administrator or uh, an outside source has given them, um, that's... You worry that about not, that. That's not putting children first in so, my, in my Tim, um, I, I would like to hear, now, by autonomy, you mean let them run the classroom, let them decide what their schedule should be, let them decide what they will test on. I, I hear you. I think that you want the teacher to be viewed as an authority. I have a question back to you before you hang up. My question to you is, um, do you... Do you believe that there have to be some education standards? So would you not think that the teacher would need to know that she needed to accomplish a, a certain number of things in the classroom to be sure that those kids in that classroom got the same thing the other ninth graders did? Absolutely. And and I'm going to, to throw out a... Uh, uh, an identity that's, that has been very controversial and most people don't understand, and that is Common Core Standards. Mm. And our Common Core Standards were a set of standards uh, for the children um, that that were, um, I, I, I guess they were high standards is what I'm trying to say, uh, to say mm -hmm. which, which the, the teacher could uh, attempt to, bring her children to attain. Right. So, yes. Uh, yeah, I hear I hear what you're 
talking about, and, and I will tell you that I know in my practice, and I know Dr. Saunders will want to come in on this too, that um, that the when Common Core came in, it, it caused a lot of panic in several schools because there were many children who were just not at that level and not able to attain that level in the, the rapidity in which they were expected to. Um, mm-hmm. Dr. Saunders, you have some thoughts about that? Yeah, I think the theory behind Common Core is great. Um, I agree completely that a kid who graduates from high school in Jackson should know the same things that a child who graduates from high school in Chicago or Seattle or New York knows. Um, I think we probably could have been a little more careful and thoughtful about how we implemented Common Core um, so that the teachers felt prepared and were able to better prepare parents. I will say when when we moved here, my daughter started first grade, was the first year of Common Core, um, and she brought home some math homework that I couldn't help her with which shouldn't happen <laughs> being a physician so I should be able yeah, yeah, the, yeah. The, the the methods are different and so I think there needs to be a little parent education too so that we can help the kids um, because if they don't follow the method their answer is incorrect and so I think even if they got the right correct, answer yes right yes and yeah. so I think it's a good um, thought I think the theory is good I think we just still have some kinks to work out as far as implementing it in a way that parents can help kids teachers feel well supported and our kids are successful right thanks thanks for your call Tim oh you're welcome thank you Let's go to Cornish and South Haven. You have some comments about um, homeschooling, too, Cornish. Good morning. Thanks for calling. Yes, good morning. Uh, listen, I, I have to tell you, um, I've heard people sing the praises of uh, homeschooling. And uh, my experience, and I did spend 30 years in the United States Air Force, uh, has been that those, without fail, homeschool kids are dysfunctional. I remember when I went through basic training in November 1972 at Laxa, we left three people there and all three of them, including the son of a gentleman who was the Secretary of Agriculture, we left them inside the padded room because they simply did not know how to, uh, how to uh, function within the wider group. And uh, for that, uh, I the same thing out in the civilian world. Um, There should be a mandatory requirement that all children go to school, public school, and, um, you know, uh, improve the quality of the teachers, improve improve the quality of uh, curriculum. Um, Homeschooling is, uh, does not help. The second thing is, I don't understand why it is, it is not possible to look at what other countries have uh, required. Uh, their students uh, to uh, experience from the time they were born until the time they reach uh, 16 or 17 or 18. Um, This parceling out to private school, it bastardized um, or balkanized, if you will, um, the educational system. And the result is you have people coming out of high school with a high school diploma still can't read and when I say that I mean for example I operate a business in uh, in this area and I bought a brand new piece of equipment $100,000 for a backhoe it has a cab and everything and it has a big old caution before operating raise and uh, this gentleman went in there and he 
ignored that, and he shuttered the entire cab. When asked by my insurance agent in my presence, why did he not see this sign? He looked at me and he said, uh, Mr. Cornish, you can't read. But this person had a high school diploma from one of what considered better high schools in the area. That's right. been my experience, and uh, I do believe that uh, we are going down the wrong path. Cornish, let me let me stop you there for a minute. I, um, I, I appreciate your comments and, and your opinions. Um I just have to say, to say an across-the-board um, negative about homeschooling is, is in my mind, not not a, a fair statement. Um, there are some people who graduated from a 12-year public school, a 12-year private school who have socialization issues. I think there's some good homeschoolers go- schooling going out there, and I think that the job is well done. I agree with you that socialization is very important, as does Dr. Saunders. I also would, would say that I agree with you there some kids coming out of schools um, without being able to read, and that's abhorrible. That is unacceptable, and it should not happen, and those schools should be ashamed to release those individuals. Uh, Some people, however, no matter how many years of school, are not able to learn to read, so there's some individuals who that's just what they were given. Um, They have an intellectual disability or a severe learning disability. So um, it's not that everyone is doing badly. It's that some people sometimes can't help what they end up with. But thank you for your comments. And um, certainly, I'm sure we're going to hear some um, other opinions on that. Let's go next to Michael in Memphis. Um, Michael, good morning. Good morning to you, and thank you for taking my call. Certainly. Uh, Great topic. Kids are extremely important. The kids are the root of each society and community, and we have to give them the full attention and um, respect and develop them in an appropriate way. But developing kids are not starting at school. Developing kids are starting from the family environment. Um, If we are not considered this putting kids first just as a slogan and giving it a true fact and deal with the situation appropriately, then we have to look into what law says truly about kids being first in the, the families and in our society. I'm a Muslim, and I was divorced about 18, 19 years ago. Mm-hmm. They, I had a daughter with my first wife, and uh, I'm not American-born, mm-hmm. but I've been in this country, and I've been serving the country um, I'm very educated. Uh, I'm a very rational person. But when we got divorced, they took my daughter away from me um, for no reason. The only reason they had that they had um, somebody hired, court hired somebody to uh, defend the child. And they, since the child was minor, 
that Guardian of Leiden said in her report that since I'm Muslim and I'm still practicing, practicing the religion of Islam and I want my daughter to be raised Muslim, they just gave mother 100% of custody. Wow. And they gave me zip, zitch, nada, nothing, zero. And they gave me only one day of visitation. And when I just uh, raised my concern about that, that my child does not want a visitor, much a parent, you know, um, judge told me that I'm, I am a hard-headed. So, Michael, um, that's a, a very difficult situation. I'm very sorry. I am just shocked if it was really due to the fact of your religion that child custody um, issue changed. You probably need to get a better lawyer, get a lawyer, get a second opinion, see what you can do, because um, that would not hold up in any court if it just had to do. Now, I'm, you know, you might want to call back on in legal terms next week and ask that very question or send an email um, to in legal terms and see what um, Richard Gershwin would say about that, because honestly, that that would uh, be shocking to me if that would be um, the case. But to go back to your very initial comment, that you are so right, education begins in the home. That's what our very first caller said, Israel, that, you know, start in utero, start reading, start talking. You can do a lot of excellent education well before your child enters school. Um, Let's stay on the phones. Thanks for your call, Michael, and good luck. Um, Let's go to Elliot in Hattiesburg. Elliot, you have an answer to our question, why put kids first. Let's hear it. Yes. Um, well, uh, one of the simple answers is to keep our country free. You know, you think about the founders of our country, and they understood the relationship between education and democracy. So when we don't put education first, we're condemning our future to a future run by, unfortunately, maybe a dictator or a uh, one where there's a lot of inequality and um, there's no freedom for people because people won't be able to choose good leaders because they won't understand their, their history or um, themselves in relation uh, to their, their own society or even where they are on the map if there's not good education. The, the other reason I think we need to put children first is that uh, we have to prepare children to face the monumental challenges that we are leaving them. And one of which is climate change, and we, we cannot shirk away from that, that we know that this is something that's big, bigger than all of us, and that is uh, really a threat to our society and, and to our civilization, and uh, they're going to need everything they can to face this and develop solutions to it. Um, so, yeah, we, we need to put them first, because they're going to have to face some of the challenges we're leaving behind for them whether it's a difficult economy or the environmental challenges. Yeah, we need to do this. It's our responsibility for the future. And to try to keep them free and uh, have something to, to leave uh, to our posterity. We owe it to them. So, Perfect. Thank you so much, too. 
Thank you, Elliot. You, uh, as you were talking, I was just thinking about all the things that we we need to impart on our children. Um, simple things um, like uh, why you shouldn't litter, um, why you shouldn't smoke, there's why you should take care of your environment. Those things too. So, um, yeah, if we just listen to Elliot's words, he was telling us that that's why we won't have a world and we won't have a democracy if we don't if we don't watch it and make sure we participate. Thanks, Elliot. Yeah. Um, so we um, we just have a couple of minutes left. Let's see. Let's go to Chris in Batesville. Chris, you have a comment about homeschooling? Yes, ma'am. Uh, to the call that we called before, yeah. uh, homeschooled. Uh, we homeschooled both of our children up through sixth grade, and my daughter's in her first year of uh, college at Delta State. Both of my children either graduated cum laude or sigma cum laude from their classes. Uh, they have four point oh grade averages. And yes, we did take them, you know, the social skill aspects to other home groups around us. And we also used our church. But that's, like you said, you can't use such a broad brush to hit homeschooling with. No. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Chris, thanks for calling. And and certainly um, we both know that there are many parents out there who have done an excellent job uh, making sure that socialization aspect. Yes, um, you can you can teach your child the book sense, but it's really important to make sure that they they have that social sense. Dr. Mm -hmm. Saunders, any last words about putting children first or homeschool Mm -hmm. or any of that? Um, I guess one one thing I would say is that there's not one school setting or situation that you can say is appropriate for every single child across the board. I think it's very important to consider the child and their needs. Um, And with all of the things going on in our state and our country right now, I think it's important to remember those kids whose only option is public school and special education um, because there's not a charter or private school out there available that can support them in the way they need support. Um, So we just need to be sure and not forget about those kids. Right. So it's not, like I said at the beginning of the show, we're not talking about my children or Dr. Saunders' children or your listening um, audience, your children. We're talking about everyone's kids, Mm -hmm. putting all of those children first. And remember that those parents who can't give their children what they need, maybe we can reach out and help. Maybe we can reach out and touch and help out. Um, It certainly would improve um, our state. Our, our United States and, and hopefully the world eventually if we just all kind of, not to sound corny, but reached out and touched those who needed mm-hmm. us. You could you can make a difference. So I would um, implore you all to, to go out and try to make that little bit of difference. A little bit uh, goes a long way when all of us are there. So with that, thanks so much, Dr. Saunders. Thanks for carrying the torch at Child Development. And thanks to all of our callers. You were all just great and lended a lot to the show. Uh, Today's show was engineered by um, Sam Wells and our call screener, Java Chapman. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress. Join us next Tuesday at 11 for Relatively Speaking. And stay tuned for NPR's Here and Now, coming up next on MPB Think Radio.